Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. How's everybody doing? I want to welcome you guys into a very, very special episode of NBA Rookie Life with Ryan Hollins. Today we have the 14th pick in the 1997 draft. He was all rookie, second team, a flat out baller, man. 10 years in the association, man. Nothing other than my guy, Maurice Taylor. Mo, what's going on with you, man? Man, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity, man. Absolutely. So, Mo, selfishly, I get to live out a lot of my childhood fantasies. You were one of my favorite players growing up. I grew up in Pasadena. I'm a West Coast guy. So when you were on the Clippers, I would sneak down. We didn't have cable. My grandmother had cable. So I, I go over to my grandmother's spot during a school week, during the week after practice or whatever, and I would go down. You guys were on cable. So I, I couldn't watch it on, on I think it was KCAL. The Lakers would come on KCAL. You guys would come right, on Fox. Right, right. So I sneak down to watch. So I would rock with y'all the whole year, man. Definitely grew up a big fan. And as a player, you were a big guy who could move your feet left to right, crossover, shifting big guys. You weren't really a conventional big. So, you know, for a young guy, man, I definitely was rocking with you, bro, for a while, man. I appreciate that. I always say that if, um, you know, if I play nowadays, <laughs> you know, my game would be a little more receptive to the league. Uh, you know, back when I was playing, you know, as a young boy, you know, we had the stereotypical power forwards. You know, we had Carl Malone, Derek Coleman, Charles Barkley, you know, the guys that were the epitome yeah. of power forwards. And I was a little different, you know, coming up back then. I think uh, when when C. Webb came in the, in the game, you start seeing the change in power forwards, you know, KGs and 
Dirks and the guys that were playing away from the basket. And, you know, I like to think I was one of the forefathers of those guys. You know, back then they were telling me I shot too many jumpers and dribbled too much. <laughs> but right now that's what yes. they want most for me to do. <laughs> so it was a little different. I, I look at the players now. It was a little different. But man, absolutely. But I think from my generation, that's why we rock with you. We rock with KG. You know, Rashid was more turn and face up, turn pivot. But you had yeah. you had to work off the block. Like you had some of the prettiest pinch post game. Shoot, man, like where did that come from? You know, because like I said, like for a guy 6'9", 6'10", 260, you move like a guard. You literally in certain spots were running the wing, playing the three. And like, I, absolutely, bro. It's funny. You said it before I could say it. Your game fits with today's game even more. You'd have been shooting threes, dog. Yeah, I mean, it, it was different back then. I think when, when I was at University of Michigan, Jay Smith was one of our head assistants, and he mm. worked with all of the big dudes. So he worked with Jawan Howard. He worked with Chris Weber. By the time I got to Michigan, it was myself, Maceo Bastin, Robert Trailer, and they always taught us not to be one-dimensional. You know, when we were in college, we were mm. playing pinch posts. You know, we were catching it on the wing. I mean, by my junior year, I was starting at the three with Maceo and, and Robert Trailer. You know, so we had a huge front line. So I Man. think back then they were kind of really instilling in us just to be basketball players and not be robots or anything like that. So by the time I got to L.A., and the crazy part about it is my junior year, I averaged 12 and I think 12 and 8 my junior year at Michigan. I mean, I topped those numbers as a rookie because the game was so wide open and it was kind of more tailored to what I wanted to do. So when I got to the league my rookie year, I was able to put the ball on the floor some. And, and it was it was really easier to score in the NBA than it was in Big Ten basketball when I was coming out. Oh, yeah, man. The Big Ten you played in, man, it was some grown men with, with kids and, and, and real wife and kids. And all grown men in there. <laughs> <laughs> Who who were some of the guys in the Big Ten at that time, man? Yeah, it was it was grown men in the Big Ten. I mean, guys weren't leaving early. I mean, if you looked at that Michigan team, uh, uh, Michael Finley, Calvert Chaney, Orlando Woolrich, who actually won the uh, MVP of the Big Ten, Sean Respert, Eric Snow, and all these guys were junior and seniors. They weren't, you know, freshmen dominating the conference. I mean, we really had some guys there that had been there three and four years that had won a lot of ball games for their programs. So it was tough. It, it wasn't a cakewalk, you know, back then when, you know, when we were playing against those guys. Lawrence Funderburk over at Indiana. Um, you know, we had some legit <laughs> big dudes over there. Uh, absolutely, man. And and you know what? When I think back, that's why when you got to the league, you talked about being ready. Obviously, playing in space was more helpful, but you were ready for the league. It wasn't like, oh, Mo's a two-year, two, three-year project. The, the Clippers could look and say, oh, this guy can start right now. He can come in and play minutes for us. He can rebound. He's got the size, the physicality. We're not adding on. So, Mo, what was it like coming into the draft? Who was a young Mo Taylor at the time, what was your composition, your mindset? You know, talk me through who you were. Was it like a stretch for you going to the league? Or were you like, man, I'm going? Or were your coaches shoving you out the door? Talk me through that. When I got to Michigan my freshman year, I won Big Ten freshman of the year. And I was first team all – I was second team all Big Ten that year. You had bounced already. Um, you started today having, you had bounced. You know, people <laughs> telling me. Right? <laughs> right. So I started having people telling me that I could have left after my freshman year, but I didn't see it. You know, I w it wasn't really in my mindset. I don't think I was mature enough to really comprehend it. Like I said, the only people that I have seen go early at that time was, you know, Jalen, you know, Jawan, Webb, the guys before me. 
But as a freshman, I didn't really think I was ready. I had a pretty good sophomore campaign. It was the same thing. It was, you know, I, I actually should have left my sophomore year. I would have been higher my sophomore year than I was when I came out my junior year. But uh, by the time my junior year came, Coach Fisher, i never forget, we went to Burger King for lunch. And he just told me, he was like, yes, it's, it's probably time now. You know, he kind of, you know, we laid it out there. And, you know, it was an informed decision. But by that time, I thought I was ready. I thought I'd had, you know, you don't want that door to close. So I had a couple of opportunities after my freshman and sophomore year. But I thought after my junior year, I, I thought that was the best I was as far as a player at that time. I thought I had matured as a player. I think my game was kind of turning the corner, my body had matured. I mean, when I came out, I was 6'9", 250. So like I said, I wasn't a project. I didn't have yeah, to yeah, work yeah. to add strength <laughs> or anything like that. You know, you know, I came in pretty much ready to play. So I thought it was a good time for me. And, you know, and, and taking, you know, Coach Fisher's advice, that was the one person who I kind of listened to during that time. And once he said it was time for me to go, I, that's when I started actually believing it. That's so crazy now because... These kids now, they hear from their parents, their handlers, the right. guy who's the guy who's the guy, the right. shoe company. And, you know, you had a relationship with, shout out Coach Fisher. Coach Fisher actually recruited me. He hollered at me when he went over to San Diego State, man. So cool to see San what Diego he's doing State, there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and Coach Dutcher's over there, you know, doing his thing for Coach Fisher. Um, That's my guy. Talk me through draft day. <laughs> talk me through draft day, though, man. Um, and obviously, he shouted you out. His, you, you, Webb, all them. That was a recruiting pitch. He was like, "You want to, you know, do do what those guys did." I was like, "I would love to, Coach, but I don't know if I could, you know, pass on UCLA." <laughs> but walk me through draft day, man. What was that like? What were the nerves like? And man, you were going into an NBA with the best era we've ever seen a power forward. Barkley, Malone, like nowadays, yeah. the point guard position is stacked. You don't get a night off with the point guard positions now, but you didn't get a night off. The power forward was the most dominant we've ever seen in history. Walk me through your draft day, feelings, emotions, what the agent was saying. Were you let down? Were you fired up? You know, where was your draft? Talk me through that day, man. Yeah, we were in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's where the draft was, uh, was based. Uh, Norm Nixon was my agent at the time. Uh, Norm Nixon was an agent? Yeah, he was actually Jay Rose's agent. And, you know, obviously my relationship with Jay Rose, <laughs> it kind of tied me into Norm. So Norm was my agent when I first came out. For sure. You know, it was kind of surreal. You know, your family's there. You're doing all the things that lead up to the draft. You know, the little pickup games that we're having, you know, with all the guys that were there, all of the media requests. But at the same time, you know the ultimate reason that you're there. So it's really the nerves, the, you know, you have your family there. And, and when I get in the green room, the thing about me is that I worked out for Philly at two. I think it was Dallas at six. The Clippers, I didn't even work out for. Mm. They called me in for a workout. I had Shut a conversation up. with, I, have a, <laughs> I had a conversation with him. Norm told him, he's like, there's no way he's there at 14. So we're not going to work out today. So I never even worked out for the Clippers. Wow. But as the draft started to unfold, you know, obviously Tim Duncan went number one that draft, Keith Van Horn went number two. As it started to unfold, I just remember thinking, man, the Clippers are going to draft me. If I'm here at 14, we knew they were going to draft me regardless of me not working out anything. We knew that if I was around at 14, they were going to pick me. So, you know, 
the way it played out, I was around at 14. As soon as the 13th pick was taken, you know, they called Noren's phone. It was like, hey, we're taking them. We don't need to be on the clock. We're taking them. With the 14th pick in the 1997 NBA draft, the Los Angeles Clippers select Maurice Taylor from the University of Michigan. You know, when you get drafted, it's a surreal moment. You know, you because I'm pretty sure you did the same thing. As basketball players, you watch the draft. You watch all of the lead up to the draft. You watch the, you know, the combine. And just to be there at that moment, it was a little surreal. And my suit also told the story of me being from Detroit. So, <laughs> so I mean, it, it was a good experience. It was hey, a good experience. I really enjoyed it. Hold on, Mo. You got to give me this story, man, because for those who maybe can't see this uh, for the audio version, you know, y- y- you got your bright. It's teal. Would teal be the proper color? Is it aqua? What you wearing, man? Yeah. Oh, oh, how did you go through the suit? Did, was, were you killing them at the time? <laughs> it was a mix between teal and aqua. I really can't tell you what the <laughs> formal name of the suit was, but... Uh, you know, I went into a spot and, you know, they gave, I, I like to say they gave me the Detroit special because I did have on some blue gators as well. So I knew you had the gators. That was my next question. <laughs> yeah, it was, def- it was definitely a Detroit moment. <laughs> yeah, man. Shout out to D, man. Shout out to D. Okay. Now, did you think you were killing them or was it just like I'm rolling with it? You know, with the compliments run, running around? Oh, no, I see a young I mean, fella. No, no. <laughs> no, I actually thought I did. And I think, you know, it was a running joke because between me and Jalen at the time, we were trying to see who one upped each other. You remember he had on a red with white pinstripe suit. So yes. <laughs> I think we kept the conversation going with the loud suits from Detroit. Yes, sir, man. Shout out to D, man. Shout out to D. <laughs> all right, Mo. That's uh, all it was, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it, man. I'm loving it. And, and you know what? That's part of the culture, man. You got to rep for the culture. Um, talk me through, man. You're drafted. You're excited. You go up there. Stern's doing that. You're a big deal. Once you get to the Clippers, man, talk me about some of the OGs on the team. Did you come in? Were you feeling like, oh, I'm ready to step in? Were you nervous? Did some of the guys put you on your butt the first day of practice? Walk me through that, that, you know, for a ball player, that first day of school. That's kind of our first day of school all over again when you get to that vet camp. Not the summer league, the vet camp. Right. I think surprisingly, when I went to L.A., if you remember, that was the year they made the playoffs and lost to Utah. They made the playoffs the year before they drafted me. And before then, you know, they had been, you know, a bad team for years. So I think the vibe was a little different because they had made the playoffs. We definitely had some, you know, some bad seasons after that. But getting there, it was a mix between vets and young dudes. They had just drafted Lorenzo White. Keith Kloss came in with me. Mm. Uh, John Collins was another guy out of Florida State that came in with me. So we had about five young guys that came in that year. The ultimate vets that we had there, you know, we had Lloyd Vaught and we had Rodney Rogers. Uh, both of them were, you know, amazing vets. You know, Rodney was a good friend. Uh, he was a guy that kind of taught me the ropes of, you know, how to be a professional, you know, how to kind of take care of your body early. i never forget we were in training camp and we were doing three-man weave. 
And I was running up and down the court doing 360s and windmills and all of that. And it was the first drill of practice. And he pulled me to the side. He was like, young fella, I love the enthusiasm. But he was like, you're going to have to pace yourself. You're not going to be able to do that every day. And then as practice two a day started catching on, you know, I started dunking less and less. Because the grind on your body, you know, and, and he was a he was a real he was a guy that, you know, lift a lot of weights before and after the game. And he kind of got me into that routine. So I think he was real instrumental in turning me into a player as well as Lloyd Vaught. He was a Michigan guy. He was a guy that I knew of before I got there. Yeah. So we were I was lucky to have two forwards, you know, that played my position that I respected that helped me along the way. It made it a lot easier for me. You know, Rodney, from day one, he wanted the USA Today, and he wanted a dozen donuts outside of his door every morning of training camp. And <laughs> I was made sure that he had his USA Today and his donuts outside. He's like, don't knock on my door. Don't let me know it's there. I know what time I'm going to come out. It just better be there when I do. So, I, ha- you know, I, ha- I have some good vets. I have some good vets. Now, did you miss a day of dropping off the newspaper. And for those young people, we use the, the newspaper is a, an assortment of papers in which we would read to yep. find out the news exactly. that you get on Twitter today. A lot of, what's crazy, a lot of young people are like, newspaper, right. what's that? They don't get it, it. it was our Twitter back then. Yeah, it was. But I, I, didn't, I didn't miss a day because the nervousness of it and knowing who Rodney Rogers was. Like I watched sure. Rodney Rogers at Wake Forest. He was a monster. You know, I've I watched guys like that perform. When I got to the league, you know, he was – you know, that guy was, you know, he's a six eight power forward that's pushing, you know, 265 pounds. You know, Rodney was explo- explosive athlete and just like yeah. a huge guy playing forward. So I had a lot of respect for him when I came into the league because I knew who he was from college and all of that. So it made it easier, especially when you get a guy that had accomplished all he had, you know, take an interest in you as a player and take you under his wings. You know, it that was cool. You know, when you see when you start seeing guys around the league and you start playing with guys that you watched coming up and they start complimenting your game or trying to help you out with your game or help you to become a player that you can be. That's the cool part of the league when you run into guys like that. Absolutely. Now, for those who don't know, sometimes when the veterans have you put in work for them, that's just form of respect, handing it down. But, yep. you know, you get taken care of sometimes. I remember, oh, you know, Mecca Okafor, Sean May, they took me shopping one time and we get on the plane. Uh, shout out Mech, by the way, man. He he slid me to per diem. I remember we went on the L.A. trip was about two weeks now. He mm-hmm. was like, ah, young fella, I'm going to hold on to this, this per diem. But I was thankful nonetheless. Were there some of the things that the veterans did to kind of take care of you or, you know, blessed you along the way for dropping off that USA Today every morning? You know, this, see, that's the thing with Rod. I never paid for anything when I was with him. You know, he was always said, no, nah, keep your money in your pocket. Whether it's we go to lunch, if we go to dinner, if we go hang out. You know, he was a real he was he was one of those guys that took care of everybody. When we got to the plane, regardless of what the team did, he had some food catered or he did. You know, he was one of those guys that kind of did what he wanted. You know, he played in the league a long time. He had a good name in the league. and He was one of those veterans that, you know, when he spoke in the organization, listened. Okay, guys, you got to hang around because the first time that Mo Taylor played against Michael Jordan, he messed around and saw what Michael Jordan looks like, okay? You got to stay tuned to find out what happens. Crazy Jordan story coming up next on NBA Rookie Life. Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, 
think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Three minutes to go in the second overtime. Jordan on Taylor. Now the Michael Jordan show. He's just too good, Rob. He's just too good. It's over, ladies and gentlemen, a heartbreaking loss for Bill Finch's Los Angeles Clipper Club. Despite outstanding performances from Lamont Murray, Maurice Taylor, Brent Berry, Lorenzo Wright, it was not to be. All right, Mo, how about this, man? Did you have a welcome to the league moment or someone that busted you up that you kind of didn't see coming or one of the OGs like, oh, I got him and just let, let you have it or, you know, one of the one of the name names that gave you that work, like, look, man, this is a whole different deal right here. I think it would probably be Jordan. Ooh. I mean, my rookie year, we played the Bulls at the sports arena. That was the, you know, the 72 and 10 team. Ooh. You know, that Mike. And uh, that, I think that was the second three-peat, the last championship of the second three-peat, that team. So we were playing them at the sports arena, and we, I remember us blowing them out. Like at halftime, we were up by like twenty. I remember like absolutely this. killing. Them. I remember this. And Lamont and myself, we were taking turns guarding Mike. We were the the forwards, so we were taking turns. And you know, I'm, first of all, I'm in. Oh, I'm wearing a pair of Jordans. <laughs> you know, at the time, I have a pair of Jordans on. And um, by that time, later on in the season, 
I had changed agents from Norm Nixon to David Falk. Oh. So, you know, I knew Mike, we had the same agent, so we knew of each other. But it's Mike, everybody knows of him. He just knew that I was a client of David. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, we're playing the game. I, I'm having a great game. I think I had like 20, 25 and 10 that game. He comes back at the halftime. We held him to four points at halftime. Like Michael Jordan has four points. So we're in the line. And I'm geeked as a rookie. Like, oh, okay, we're about to beat the Bulls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody else on the team, like, it's just a regular season game. May have been game 30, <laughs> a, a very unimportant game. <laughs> but I'm, you know, I'm hyped. Like, we're beating Michael Jordan in the game. So we come back in the second half, and it just starts to get ugly. It like it literally they they're giving this man the ball every single time, and we cannot stop him. I mean, it's just like you watching a movie: the turnaround jump shots, the up and under and ones, you know, all of that. So we end up going in overtime with him. And to make a long story short, we're up three, and he's at the line shooting two, and it's maybe six seconds left. So he makes the first one and, you know, he goes, you know, you make a free throw and he goes and daps up all his guys. And then as he's walking back, you know, he kind of tapped me on the leg. He's like, watch this young fella. So he goes back to the line and misses the throw. And when I say the ball, it looked like it had a magnet on it. It went right back to him. And when it went right back to him, he caught it, took one bounce, jumps, and does the whole bump me in the air and smack his hand and throw it up. Throws it up over his head. Ball goes in and one. He goes back to the line. And I'm just sitting there standing looking like I don't know what happened. <laughs> Murray fouls him with 16 seconds to go. Free throws for Jordan. I don't think you try to miss it. I think it's too early for that. No, you don't miss it on purpose, no. Jordan's free throw. He's no good. He gets it. Maybe he did. Maybe he's smarter than all of us. 13 seconds to go. Jordan to the hole. And he's going. Tie game. Nine seconds to go. Timeout LA. And he ended up with like 40-something after having like four or five at halftime. I mean, it was unreal. He was just, I mean, watching a guy just take over a game like that, no, nah, it, it was unreal. So that was probably my welcome to the league moment was probably – that moment seeing Michael Jordan be Michael Jordan. <laughs> now, did, did, was there some trash talk, you know, defensively? You know, what were you trying against Mike? You know, were you trying to keep a baseline, trying to get physical with him, you know, trying not to foul him? What were you guys saying or what were you doing, you know, when you when you guarded him? And did anybody tr did anybody have the nerve to trash talk him? It was like, no, nah, no, nah, it's Mike now. No, I noticed that. Like, Brent Berry, like, Lamont Murray. Lamont was more of a gamer. He had a little more swag than Brent Berry. But he wasn't saying yeah, nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Brent Berry was scared to death. <laughs> he wasn't saying a word. <laughs> like, he was, Brent Berry was scared to death. Like, literally scared to death. And Rodney, him and Rodney had a running dialogue because they both from North Carolina. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So they had some running like dialogue as vets that I really didn't get in the middle of because it wasn't my place. But as far as me saying anything to him, you know, I wasn't saying a word. You know, I was just out there playing, you know, playing as hard as I could trying to get a win. But at that time, my rookie year playing against Jordan, we won the MVP that year. <laughs> This is the third of a three-peat oh. championship. Nah, I just kept my mouth shut. 
It wasn't nothing for me to say there. <laughs> what were you guys saying in the locker room after he kind of, you know, you, like you said, he dapped you up. Hey, Rook, watch this. Was it disbelief or was it like, was it anybody's fault or was it like, that's Mike? For me, it was unbelievable. I was in the locker room in between, okay, we lost the game, but I was grinning the whole time. Like, did y'all see this? Like, did y'all literally, like, it was like watching Come Fly With Me and watching all the videos when you coming up, but being in it, like, going into double overtime with him and, and like, being in the game. And then the, the craziest part after the game, you know how strict they are with smoking in buildings in L.A.? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they don't, they don't allow you to smoke in any type of building. For sure. We come out of locker room. He has every camera around him. And it's just hundreds of people. And then you just see him in the middle of the circle walking down the tar, you know, walking from the locker rooms, going to where the bus were. And he's smoking this huge cigar indoors. <laughs> so I'm sitting up and like, nobody's going to tell him to stop. (laughs) But it's Mike. Like, he's smoking this huge cigar. He was smoking it in the locker room because when he opened the locker room door, smoke was coming out of the Bulls' locker room. And it's Michael Jordan. They just let him walk through the sports arena smoking a huge cigar, security around him. And I just thought, like, man, they they let this man (laughs) do whatever. So it was kind of surreal looking at all of that. Man, shout out to Mike, man. Shoot, I got drafted to Charlotte. Yeah, definitely. I got drafted to Charlotte, and I say, you know, it's funny. I didn't think I was crazy. I knew I saw what I saw. Mike didn't come around that much, but the first time Mike came around in Charlotte, he was glowing. I swear to God, he was glowing. And I watched him walk around. <laughs> the, you know, we practicing, and then he walks in, the, you know, like later in the bright. And I, and I see Mike glowing, and I told people, Michael Jordan has a, like a halo, like a glow around him when he walks. And I've heard multiple people say that, like, y'all don't Man, understand. <laughs> Like, dude, his uniform fits different or something. Like, it's <laughs> it's it's a difference in how the guy moves. Like, you got to think, I'm playing against, I'm wearing number 23 because I'm a Jordan sure. fan. I came up in Detroit sure. hating the Pistons and the bad boys. <laughs> so my rookie year, I'm playing against, I'm wearing Jordans and wearing number 23. So I was one of the kids, The I was one of the Michael Jordan products. I grew up in that era from the time that he stepped on the court Ooh to the time I got to the league, I was a Michael Jordan fan. So it was, it was complete awe, you know, when we first, when I first was able to play against him. All right, that's good stuff, Mo. All right, now we tore you down. We got to pull you back up. We saw you getting busted up, man, but you had some game, Mo. So let's, <laughs> let, let's hold on. Let's pull up. Let's pull up. You had a dunk of the year candidate, a dunk of the year move, man. You got to walk me through this. Officially, we'll get into the NBA Rookie Life film room. So in the film room, we need Coach Mo Taylor. Uh-huh. Break down the film. Let me know the play. Let's have some hoop talk. Give me some vet talk right now. What was the set that was run? Who ran it? And you had dunk of, dunk of the year candidate. Walk me through it, man. All right, time now for the top 10 dunks of the year in our courtside countdown. Coming in at number eight, here's Maurice Taylor of the Los Angeles Clippers. This is against Jersey. And I'll never forget Steph's face. If you look at Steph's face after the dunk, it was crazy. Well, we ran in pick and roll, and obviously they were downing it. You know, they was icing it to the baseline. So they were kind of allowing me to shoot or they was going to have a stunner. So the first two times before this, they had someone stunning. 
So I was like, okay, I'm going to let him stunt. But when he stunt, the big wasn't getting back quick enough. I'm like, man, I may be able to get a step, you know, and get yeah, to the yeah, rim. Yeah. So if you see the guy stunt and leave, that's when I kind of like, okay, as soon as he leaves, you know, I'll go downhill. And at that time, like when I'm with the Clippers, my first, you know, year, two, three years in the league, it was nobody in the league that was jumping with me. Ooh. So it was just a matter of just getting to the paint and kind of getting, you know, getting my feet together. I, I'm willing to, you know, trust myself jumping with anybody at that time. Heck yeah, man. That's, and that's, it was David Vaughn that was under there. He was ooh. the guy that was under there. <laughs> ooh, ooh. Hey, hey, Mo, real quick. I don't know if I have film for all this, man, but just talk to me about matching up with all the power forwards in the league. You know, what was it like? Like you... I, I seen you giving Barkley that work. I saw a couple of films, you giving Barkley that work. You, you had to see like real bigs, Carl Malone. Like these are, these are real lumberjacks down there, dog. What was that like? Tim Duncan. And you had to guard him. It's like, all right, Mo, you got him. I think it was, I think it was a little intimidating at first as a fan, not as a player. You know, as a fan, you watch Carl Malone and you watch Barkley. So you're a fan first. As a player, I wasn't intimidated. But as a fan of those guys and coming up, I'm like, man, these are guys that I have posters of, you know, guys that I really, like Carl Malone, I kind of patterned my game after him, you know, as far as being a forward that's able to shoot, that's able to play pick and roll. But it wasn't an intimidation factor like I didn't want to play against them. I was more eager. I thought I was different mm. from them. I think early on they kind of knew that too. Because I was, I had started my second, third year really having some pretty good games against the older cats. But then it was a new wave that was coming in with me. I played against, you know, Antonio McDice. You know, I played against Dirk Nowitzki, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, and the, the whole Portland team. Brian Grant, Rasheed, Jermaine O'Neal. They had a whole roster Gee. full of power forwards <laughs> that everybody, every time you go over there, that left shrimp, they had him. Then Van Baker, when he was in Seattle Ooh. and in his prime, I played against him. Uh, who else? Dirk was just coming in the league. Tim Duncan, obviously, we came in together. We had some battles. And that's all in the West. Chris Webber. Like these, you notice most Twan of those teams, are, oh, most of those names are in the <laughs> Twan Walker, you know. So if you look Jawan. at most of those, uh, Jawan, exactly. P.J. Brown over at Miami, he was putting up numbers. But I think the power forward spot from 97 through probably up until 2010 just exploded. I mean, it exploded with talent and guys that were just coming in one after the other that were 6'9", that were high jumpers. They, they started to become shooters. Guys started putting it on the floor. If you look at Jamal Mashburn, he played four at Miami. Yes. You know how hard to guard he oh. was? Like Derek <laughs> Coleman, in, you know, in those prime years in Charlotte. I mean, it was it was a ton of big guys then. And Grandma Oh, you don't even want to talk about him. He was scary. He was the guy that a lot of guys were afraid of, Larry Johnson. Like, he was now nah, he was the guy that really, between the vets and the young guys, that was that missing link, that gap. Because he, you mm. saw him so much coming up. You saw his college career. He's done so much. And then the marketing of the grandma and all this stuff. Like, Larry Johnson was huge. Yes. 
And like, and plus he, at Charlotte, it wasn't really nobody messing with him. You know, he averaged 19 and 12 as a rookie. But um, I think that position, it was like no night saw. I just remember every day, like every game, especially I think it was around 2000 when I got with the Rockets. That's when it really exploded on the West as far as those guys having the top power fours. So it was difficult. But at the same time, as a player, you wouldn't want it any other way because I felt like I was one of those dudes, too. You know, I felt like, yeah, somebody going to get it tonight. <laughs> you know, somebody's talking <laughs> about, OK, Dave, we got to play more tonight. So I felt the same way. But it, it, it was a good era of big guys. And I think the league, if you look at it now, we starting to go back to that a little bit. You know, teams are looking for, for sure. big guys, centers. You know, it's, we're starting to go back to that a little yeah. bit, which... You know, it, it helps the game. You know, I like to see real productive big guys, you know, guys that are kind of evolving and things like that. And you can see that now. And be Jokic Giannis, man, that, that position, yep. you know, is coming back. It's a bit of a hybrid. They play it your way, but I think it's coming back. Yep. All right, guys, apparently the Clippers did something that made the big fella, the prime, prime big fella, yeah, friend of the show, Shaquille O'Neal, upset. And you're going to find out what he ended up doing to Mo Taylor's Clippers. Stay tuned, coming up next on NBA Rookie Life. Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings an official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DKHOOPS for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DKHOOPS only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18-PLUS in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. Pick 6 not available in all states, including, but not limited to, Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co slash pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com slash promos. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Woo! 
All right, Mo, we still got to give you some more love, man. You dropped 25 against Shaq and Kobe, man. If this is the Shaq birthday game, it's a lot of stories within this game. Into Shaq. Shaq guarded by Avent 6-9. Shaq backs in, turns, shoots. Eight-foot jumper, and his birthday is good. That's his first birthday basket, 15-9. And it won't be his last. The Lakers are stagnant with their passing tonight. Pass into Shaq. He's under the basket. He puts it up, finger rolls it in. You don't see him finger roll it very often. Rice in low to Shaq. Backing in. He got one shot. Oh, nice pass under to Harper, and Harper scores down the seam. Lakers trailing by seven. Ball into Shaq. Now they trail by five. A little hook shot. Ball into Shaq. That's the only place they're going. And lays it up and lays it in. Fisher into Shaq. Now lay it up and blow it. Get it back. Slam it. <laughs> oh, big fella. Don't do him like that. Shaq go to the dribble. Pivots underneath. Puts it up. And blocking the shot in the head. And it went back from Avent's block right into the hands of Shaq who slammed it. Shaq now has 46 points. Or he bounced under to Shaq. He's there. He's got it. He needs six points. Well, boy, you could tell all of the Laker players are trying That's to get right. it for him. That was a heck of a pass by Robert Ory. Corrado with 9.51 to play for a long lead to Shaq. He's got it. He's got it up. Put it in. Shaq has got 52. His career high is 53. Fox has got the ball. He's made his allowed to pass. Slam dunk. Standing ovation. Beautiful play. Slam dunk. 54 points. Career high for the MVP of the year. His birthday on top of it. Shaq's got it underneath. Slam dunk. That's 59. Yeah, they're going to leave him in for 60. Yeah. They'll get a chance to get it back to Shaq. Kobe underneath gives to Shaq. Shaq slam dunk. Oh, man. 61 points. Look at that bench. They love him. And well, they should. And the crowd is chanting, get MVP. It's Sha for one, it's Shaq's birthday. So he contacts the Clippers, and, but it was a home game for us. Obviously, we share the Staples Center. So he wanted an outlandish amount of tickets. And, you know, the, the Clippers uh, ticket people said, no, like, no, we don't have that much. So he has an attitude the whole game, supposedly. You know, this was the reason that he went up. Now, the funniest part, like, yeah, I'm having a good game. You know, I'm, I'm killing Robert Horry, yeah, but this guy over <laughs> here almost has 70, so it's a little different. So we we get to the huddle. I think this is the beginning of the fourth quarter. By this time, I mean, he's got 50-something, you know, by this time. So you know how when you get to the bench, the guys that are in the game are sitting down and the guys that are not in the game are standing up. Yeah, that yeah. year, we had three seven-footers. We had Ola Candy, Keith Kloss, and Anthony Avent. Those are the three centers we had. So I get to the bench and sit down, and I look up. I see all the seven-footers standing up. <laughs> so I'm looking at the guys that's in the game. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, wait a minute. Like, who? Like, like. Like, who playing the five? Like, what's being a coach going to turn to me? No, nah, Mo, it's only for a couple of minutes. <laughs> like, I'm like, no, no. Like, the dude has 50. Like, what What do you want him to do? Like, so he's like, no, nah, just do it for a couple of minutes. And i never forget, I went out there to guard him. And Shaq's mom knew my mom 
from the mothers of the like yeah, yeah, NBA yeah. type thing, something they used to have back in the day. So Shaq was always kind of cordial with me. So I go out there. He's like, oh, so you're playing center now? And I just shook my head. He's like, don't worry. I'm not going to dunk on you. But he just laid the ball up on me like eight straight times. Just like <laughs> layups. Because we weren't doubling because they were like, oh, we don't want to double. He got like, How you not want to double when the guy got 50? But i never forget just playing that game and having – we playing well, but then have a guy just – shadow your game by just having a dominant game like that was the year 2000 that's when he that's the year he won the mvp and then went to the finals i thought he was the most dominant single player in the world at that time and it was crazy because i had a good game and i never forget my girlfriend my wife now and her friend was in town and my brother we went to hard rock cafe after the game and you know it was kind (laughs) of It was, you didn't know how to respond because it was like, yeah, yeah, good game, Mo. But, you know, Shaq had 63 and 20. So it was like, yeah, I had a good game, but it wasn't that game. But I always remember that game for them making him mad. They should have just gave him the tickets and it probably would have been cool. But, no, nah, that that was a funny game. Man. And uh, L.O., I'll never forget L.O. was on the team. And when they put me in at the five, L.O. going to come up to me and, you know, he kind of pat me on, pat me on the leg. He's like, don't worry, I'm gonna help you. And I'm looking at him as a rookie, like, boy, you nothing you can do to help with this guy down here. So I just thought that was hilarious. And then it was just a running joke for the rest of the season because every player would come in, we would just be chatting about something. They'd be like, yeah, but you didn't look that brave when they put you at the five the other night. So it was it was a big running joke, but it was hilarious, man. I mean, he was he was dominant that game. I mean, you can argue. Shaq and Kobe, Mike and Pip, Stockton and Malone, you know, Magic and Kareem. Like, these are the greatest duos we have ever seen play the game. What do you remember about sharing the city with those guys at the time or seeing them at Mo? Let's make no mistake. You gave them boys that work from the high post. Shaq did not want to chase you around. You was killing them nah, with the mini did. banging out. <laughs> so I remember I remember those days. Don't get me wrong. We're not going to act like you didn't put your work in. But what do you remember about sharing the city with those guys, man? The one thing I do remember is that it, it was no sharing the city. No. I mean, the city of Los Angeles is a Lakers town, regardless of who comes in. And we had a little buzz about us. The, my third year because of Derek Anderson, myself, and L.O. playing together. You know, it was the same old saying, can they keep that talent together? Yeah, yeah, can yeah. the Clippers keep them? And that was the the saying. Like, you know, they hadn't really done that until they signed Elton Brand. But, no, nah, it, it was no sharing that city. I mean, Shaq got me into the comedy, into the comedy store the first time I went there because I was only 20 years old as a rookie. And he had, it was something that he was doing at the comedy store and I got carded. And it was like, you know, dude at the door was like, man, come on, everybody know how old you are. Like, it's not. And then Shaq ended up getting me in. So to that aspect, there was no sharing that city. The Clippers didn't share that city with the Lakers. When During that time with Kobe and Shaq, they were obviously the big dogs in the city as well as the league. Because when by the time 2000 came, my second year in the league, Kobe and I both was coming off where I was starting. And he was coming off the bench that year. And we were kind of the young boys, you know, the up and comers, you know, during that time. But 
the thing about it, and 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 I, and I like Kobe, and I think you know, obviously Kobe's Kobe, but Prime Shaq was just different. Like if you look at everywhere he went from Orlando to L.A., like Prime Shaq just brought so much with him uh, to the city, to the organization. Like, I tell people to this day, like, I don't care what the Clippers do or what they have done. There is no sharing that city. You know, that city just happens to have a couple of basketball teams, but it's a Lakers. It's a Lakers town. Real quick to Kobe, man. Did you know? Obviously, we knew how dominant Shaq was. He was, Did you kind of have a feeling like, man, this young boy kind of crazy, like Kobe was going to end up being the Mamba? Did you see little things about him that you picked up on? I mean, yeah, it was when we used to have shoot-arounds at the Staples Center. Like, my third year, the Staples Center opened. And he used to get there early. We always had the first shoot-around because they used to want to sleep in. So we didn't have our preference of shoot-around. It probably was like that when you got there. The Lake yep, Clippers had yep. the early one. The Lakers <laughs> had the second one. It's their building so, where we're renting but it. But <laughs> when we would get there, Kobe would, Kobe would already be there, like, getting up shots. Me and L.O. was usually the first ones from the Clippers that get there. Because L.O., I kind of had got him into the mode. We we lift before shoot around. For sure. You know, do our ice hot bath. And we get out there, get up some shots before the rest of the team get there. And Kobe was there. And it was just a particular time. We just went up to him and said, what's up? Always, like, between myself, L.O., and Kobe, it was always cool because we were the youngest dudes there. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like in L.A. at the time on the two teams. So we was always cordial and saying what's up to each other. But when we got out there, you know, he was shooting, you know, and his whole thing, you know, what up, Mo? It's like, what's up? He's like, yeah, I got to go on the day. I'm going to tell y'all up tonight. You know, he'll say something slick like that and we get to talking. <laughs> and then we'll sit up there and then we'll make a joke because during his second year and third year, that's when everybody's talking about, oh, Phil is holding them back. Shaq's holding them back. He'll be saying, I don't care what none of them say or do. Y'all getting it tonight. Watch. Can't nobody <laughs> stop this. Nobody on my team. Nobody on y'all team. Like, he would get it a cover. But they would be like, like you know, like we talking, like the boys talking. But he's but quietly serious. The crazy part about it, he meant that. That's the thing about Kobe. It's like Kobe would come up here and say something, and you would dap him up and be like, man, that's cold. Like, that's real. But then you would stop, and as you walk away, you'd be like, he means exactly what he says, that it's nobody that could stop him on his team or ours. So. I think what Kobe did and what I always encourage young players to do, see yourself for who you're going to be, not just where you're at right now. And that's what he did. He didn't see himself as a second, third-year guy coming off the bench. No, he saw himself as Kobe Bean Bryant and you guys, whoever got a problem, no matter who it is. And I was able to be my rookie year. I was in the rookie All-Star game. And that was the one supposed to be Mike's farewell. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. You know, yeah. Kobe got out there and was trying <laughs> to go at Mike. You know, that was the one with Mariah Carey came out there and sung for him. So it was Mike's farewell. But Kobe didn't see, he felt it. it was my introduction, not Mike's farewell. And that was Kobe's all-star game. So it's, yeah, Yo. like he's different that way to where he saw himself on who he was going to be, not where he was right now. Dang, that's good stuff, man. And also, man, you played with one of our greats in my mind, but with the rival on the other side, T-Mac, man. You got to walk me through this, Mo, because you were there. We all saw it. We love it. I think it's a great moment, Uh literally, in NBA history. T-Mac's, was it 13 points in 33 seconds, dog? 
Here's McGrady for three. Thirty-five seconds to go. They look to foul. So McGrady to the line where he has hit on three of three, looking for point number 27. And looking to complete a four-point play. Houston has to deny Devin Brown the ball. He's made four in a row now. McGrady over forward for three. Oh, yes! Yes! Tracy McGrady cuts it to a two-point lead. And timeout taken by, by San Antonio. And that was close to another potential four-point play. Bowen was all over McGrady. Timeout, San Antonio. He hit this. Bowen not wanting to pick up the foul. And McGrady amazingly somehow gets it to go. It's a two-point game. And a good job by Andre Barrett. They had no timeouts left. How to make things difficult for Brent Barry. Gets it in. Kevin Brown lost it. Here comes McGrady. No timeout commanded. McGrady for the win. Yes! 1.7 to go. San Antonio with no timeout. Here's Parker and the Rockets steal a game from the Spurs. Tracy McGrady with an incredible performance down the stretch, including a four-point play. Tracy McGrady with 30. Three points. See, the thing about T-Mac is there has never been another player like him in the NBA. T-Mac was a 6'8 dude that had everything Kobe had, stuff that Mike had, but he was 6'8", and he was long, and he was lanky, and he was explosive. So in this particular game, the crazy part about it, it was between... In that conference, that's when they had the Southwest, when the Spurs and the Rockets, when we were in the same division. And at that time, we were the two best teams in the division, and we were the two best defensive teams in the division, and the two best defensive teams in the league at that point. Obviously, kudos to Jeff Van Gundy. But I remember Jeff going to the bench, because I had twisted my knee two games before. And I remember Jeff saying, you know, chill on this one. Let's get some ice. You know, like you said, like it's over. Man, Mac, once Mac hit the first three, that's when you kind of knew it was a wrap. Because then he starts searching for him. And there's nobody on the Spurs team that can guard him. He loved playing against San Antonio. Because if you look at San Antonio during those years, they had small guards. Yes. Ginobili, Parker. Those were the guys that they were running at him. And it's, they just weren't big enough. And he loved playing against small guards. Because if you look at all of these shots, none of them are open. He's just shooting over people. He's just literally like, y'all too little. You can't contest my shot. I'm just going to go up and shoot, and I'm going to shoot a three. And you see a lot of guys playing, like Tatum plays like that at 6'8". Like, I can pull this without nobody being able to contest it. Mag was doing that back then. And those little scoring barrages... I mean, that was just one that happened to be on TNT, you know, that made it famous as a national TV game. But those are the type of things that, that he could do at the drop of a dime. His talent to me, other than playing against Michael Jordan, I have never seen talent. I'm not talking about player or how they put it together or who won championships. I have never seen talent like that in one person. Like he had it. It was just almost like, Basketball was so easy to him because he could do everything. 
like he's always one of my favorite players and always one of my favorite teammates was because I had just never seen that level of just size and speed and talent and shooting the ball, the ability to shoot. And a crazy part about it, when he got to us with the Rockets, I did not know he was that good of a playmaker. He's a great pick and roll player, but just the talent he had. Him and Yao Ming are the two single most talented dudes that I've ran into. Because Yao Ming, if he don't get wow. hurt that year, he wins the MVP. He was averaging 26 and 12 when he got hurt. Oof. But those two guys, just pound for pound, just players. With Mac, was it more of a feel? Was he in a film room? Would he have his own little scouting reports? You know, you start talking basketball with guys and they got their own little scouting report. Or was it just he just had a feel? I remember playing against T-Mac. He spun off baseline, and, like, I've seen him go off on those barrages, you know, myself early when I got in the league. But what was it about him? Was it an intellectual game? Would he be kind of calling the sets? Would he say, hey, Mo, set a screen right here for me. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, you know. What was it like talking basketball with T-Mac when you saw him in this heyday? I, I mean, it was so easy for me because I played with Yao Ming and T-Mac. So it's like set a screen, get T-Mac going downhill. Somebody got to help on me or Yao. You know, so I'm just sitting out there just taking pot shots and just being for sure, <laughs> you know, playing poke, pick and roll him, just being open, you know. But the best thing I think happened to T Mac with Jeff Van Gundy. I think Jeff Van Gundy ignited a competitiveness mm-hmm. in him to where I don't think he's had a coach up until he got to the Rockets and the team where he felt like he could compete with a Kobe Bryant. You know, I think when he got to the Rockets, he saw Jeff as a mastermind. If Shaq is one, Yao is one A as far as big men in the league at that point in time. And we had all the necessary pieces to create a winning team. So I think Mac at that time, he had a swag about him that he like, okay, yeah, we play the Lakers every Christmas on Christmas Day because of Yao and Shaq. But he felt like he can compete in those games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I think that helped him a lot. And that's why those years he had with the Rockets, he kind of picked it up because he was on the he was on the even playing field with some of those other guys. All right, Mo, you talked earlier about a young Kobe. You also got to see a young, young LeBron square off with T Mac. Did you know LeBron was different? Was there something that stood out or like you know, like LeBron had to make me a believer because a lot mm-hmm. of people gave him the hype and he's this, he's that. And a lot of those dudes didn't pan out. Were you able to see it? You know, how was it seeing a young LeBron where you like, this dude is my size playing point guard? You know, what did you see from him, your first impressions? What, what I liked about LeBron early on was how much respect he showed for like Kobe and Mac and those guys before him. Game-wise, it was incredible. He was literally a power forward that was running a 4-2-40, you know, at 250 pounds, hitting the wing and, and really just exploding in the air and down the court. It was, it was a difference. Looking at him is that you started to see the evolution of the NBA athlete. If you look at Mac and look at Kobe, they were graceful. They were For long. Sure. They were lanky. They, it wasn't a power aspect to their game. You got a guy that comes in and shoot turnarounds just like them, can handle the ball. But now he has a power aspect to his game that no none of these other guys, Jordan didn't even have that. You know, he has a a just a mass yeah. problem. It's just a mass problem when you play as LeBron. There's just so much mass that's moving that fast if you're playing on the wing. 
the only other player that you can think of, you think of people like Shaq, Carl Malone, that has that much mass and they can really run. But a guy playing point guard, you had never seen that before. So he was different in that aspect, just the, the sheer athleticism and just how much he knew about the game that early. I mean, it was like watching a vet. You know, when you, when you talk about the intricacies of basketball, people don't understand what defense of three seconds is. They don't understand you got to get in, you got to get out. They don't understand the exchanges on the backside of the defense. They don't understand the nuances of different pick and roll coverages. LeBron knew that already. LeBron knew all of that already. So that was the difference that he was probably probably the most cerebral player that I've ever seen as a rookie. How was he matching up with Mac? You know, did did they kind of guard each other? You know, obviously from a coaching perspective, you want your two best players not to kind of guard each other. How did they pair up pound for pound? Obviously, you talked about the power with LeBron, but how did those guys go at it? Or kind of, you know, just kind of watching them like, oh, hey, hey, man, I'm 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 watching the show right now. <laughs> It was definitely impressive. I think Mac at the time obviously was the easier as far as scoring wise. It just came so easy to Mac as far as controlling the team, space, pace. I think LeBron, his IQ was on another level. He just played the game the way it was supposed to be played. Whereas he saw the difference. Okay, I'm matching up with Mac. This guy can score. So he saw what a Mac is what we would call Mac can score anywhere you drop him at. He's going to be a scorer. YMCA, the Drew League, Rucker Park, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, wherever yeah. you drop him on earth and he lands, he's going to be a scorer. And I think that was the difference is that by this time, playing with us, playing with Jeff, it was so easy for Mac to score. You know, he knew where to get his spots, whereas LeBron, you could tell he was trying to figure that out, you know, so that's kind of what I saw. You saw that I saw LeBron being Tracy early on in Orlando, where he's trying his hardest to will his team, but it's only one guy. Whereas the Mac that LeBron was seeing, you know, he had been in the league, you know, eight, nine years, had won multiple scoring championships, and now he's with a team and a coach that's about winning. So I think that was the difference. You kind of saw where LeBron started, but Tracy had gotten there. You know, he had gotten away from bad basketball, and now it's just he's a vet and it's looking real easy. So I think that's what a little bit of the difference was. Man, that's good stuff there, Mo. Now, I don't know how versed you are into the draft, but there's this kid, Amen Thompson, coming out. There's Thompson twins, but Amen actually is drawing some T-Mac comparisons. What you think about his game? He's got the tall, slender, you know, look, he's a guard. He got the bounce. So let me know what you see. Is there anything from a young T-Mac that you could kind of, you know, glean from? Let me know what you think about him. I actually watched him a lot, you know, because man, with the Houston Hoops, you know, EYBL, that's, you know, the last, since I've been with them the last four years, I'm real in-depth to all of the high school players, overtime players. My thing with them is, I love their size. I love their ability. The only downside I have with those guys is the fact that they were playing against high school guys and they were a lot older. Like a lot of the overtime, you know, they played against some 17, 18 year olds, but you have those guys who, you know, they're like 20 years old. You know, they're not young, young. But game, see, the thing about T Mac is T Mac was the same type of athlete 
he was that from day one in Toronto. Like day one, he was a guy that if you put that put out on the floor, it's going to be a problem. I think Iman kind of handles it a little better than T-Mac did coming out. I think his ball handling ability is much better. I think you saw T-Mac evolve into that off-the-dribble guy in Orlando. I like his size. I like his defense ability. I just want to see what happens when he plays against top-level competition because I don't think he's had the ability to do that yet. That's good stuff there, man. I think it's exciting going into the draft because we don't know, you know, where these kids could could end up. But, you know, he's got the ball in his hands. He gets a chance to develop. And I think these young kids, they get more opportunities than we had. We were like, our games were so limited. Go to the post or you know, catch and shoot, do this, and these guys get a chance to kind of fulfill their potential. Like, if you're a big guy who can dribble, you're going to be playing point guard on a team. You know, you're going to be, you know, making these moves. So I think I'm excited to see what they can be moving forward. But obviously the questions are are there. But like you said, they do have the size, you know, and if it does translate, you know, you see a lot of the explosiveness, you know, like the gifts are at least there. (laughs) Right, right, right. No, No, I think the stuff that they have, you can't teach and the stuff that they lack is teachable. So I think they'll do well. I'm ready to see them get in the summer league, get to that next level of competition and see how it translates. Yeah. All right, Mo. Listen, man, I'll be in trouble if you got out of here and ain't talking about my Houston Rockets now. Listen, man, you got to chill with the GOAT, man. You played with the GOAT, Hakeem. We're going to throw some Hakeem clips out here, man. Let me know what was it like playing with Dream. I know it was later in his career. You know, he, a lot of us modeled, looked up to him growing up, and you got a chance to rock with him early on in your career. Talk to me about Dream, man. What was he like behind the scenes? What was he like in those practices and in the huddles, you know, and were you able to pick up some things from him going into your career? Here's Mobley. Mobley on the drive, in the lane, out to Elijah on. He's got a little late footer. Rudy Tomjanovic dives back, gets the ball, takes it in the corner. Out front it comes to Elijah Wan. Elijah Wan's jumper from 15. Two puts it up from there, won't get it. Rebound Francis. Francis puts it on the floor, gets it out to Elijah Wan. Elijah Wan able to bump with Robinson on the top. Dishes off to Ellie. Ellie down low to Rogers. Rogers turns with the left hand and it's swatted away by Elijah Wan. For Houston. Francis gets it out front. Uh, oh, to Elijah Wan in the lane. And he's come back after the timeout. Kid out front. Elijah Wan puts it away. Dream is having one of these flashback games where he's doing all the things that made him one of the best centers in the history of the league. Blunt gets the ball to Sean Marion. Marion can't shoot it. It's knocked away and it's stolen by Elijah Wan. He'll throw it out to Francis. I think too many people didn't handle it. Marion had it. Elijah Wan was there to double team. They were able to knock the ball away. Elijah one and threw it out for Francis. He came up with a flying slam dunk in the crowd. For one, Dream is the greatest player I've ever played with. You know, by far, as far as resume, history in the league, who he was, where he came from. He's the greatest player that I've ever played with. When I got there, we really, you know, we kind of hit it off. The first day of training camp, he's, come on, Mo. We play one-on-one every day from that point on. We played one-on-one. He loves to play one-on-one. So we would play one-on-one every day before practice. We get there early. We start one-on-one. But during that, he's kind of showing me how to get to my progressions on my moves. Like A is the jump hook. You know, B is the turnaround jumper, which is the counter from the jump hook. You know, C is if you face up, you give a double jab, you know, sweep through middle, quick spin right, 
Then D is sweep through middle, quick spin right, show the ball, and then come back left. So he taught the game. And by that time, you know, this is my fourth year in the league. I'm like a vet, but he's still teaching me the game. And he helped me because he said, he's like, you're not a back-to-the-basket guy. He's like, they should stop trying to make you that. He was like, get to the elbow. You can do everything I just showed you from the block on the elbow. And that from 2000, when 2000, 2001 season until I ended, most, that's where most of my stuff came from, was those little teachings from Dream on how to use those moves, but use them from the elbow. And if you look at a lot of stuff I did, there's a lot of stuff that Dream did on the block. I just did it further away from the basket. But he's a great teammate, cool dude, extremely cheap. Uh, I mean, one time we was at practice. <laughs> yeah. And the yeah. guy used to come to practice and wash our cars. And, um, you know, he'd show up. I think one time he showed up, I didn't have any cash. I'm like, Dream, you know, throw, you know, throw me 30 bucks so I can get a guy for the car. And, and he looked at me yeah, and laughed. Yeah. He was yeah. like, he would just laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, no, man, can't do it. Like, Dream, you know. You make a gazillion dollars, you can't give me $30 to get a guy to get my car. He's like, oh, man, that's funny. I can't do it. <laughs> and never gave it to him. And oh, the funny part God. about it, no, but, he, <laughs> no, but he, he's a good guy. But, but no, Dream, Dream was a character. He was a character. And by the time I got there, we would play one-on-one. We would do the first part of practice. Next thing you know, Dream would be waving at you. Okay, guys, see you tomorrow. He'll leave in the middle of the practice. Go get dressed. Oh, I got some <laughs> stuff to do today. Got some errands to run. But that's dream. I mean, he's in his 18th year. What can you yeah. do? <laughs> and Rudy was just like, okay, first see you later, dream. Time. Hope to see you tomorrow. <laughs> but, but that's how he was. Oh, my gosh. Man, I had to get my Rockets love here, man. I had to get my Rockets love here. Well, uh, shoot, Mo. I appreciate you coming through, brother. It's been a blessing, man. Like I said, I've always been a big fan. You know, you were one of those first forwards that could face up, kind of do everything, you know, off the block. So you definitely inspired me. I grew up watching you, man. Um, but one thing that I'm big on here at NBA Rookie Life is um, how can we support you, man? How you, you blessed us on the show. How can we get behind any projects that you have going, anything uh, that you have popping out, whether it's just following you on the social media or, you know, a cause or a charity or something that you're behind? First and foremost, I'm the 17U coach for Houston Hoops EYBL. We're all about giving elite players the platform they need to be seen by the top colleges in the country. You know, I do a lot of work with Nike with them. But other than that, man, you know, just trying to get back to the kids, give them a little piece of knowledge from my playing days and help them achieve their goals. Well, shoot, Bo, I, I appreciate it, brother. Uh, we'll, we'll tap in soon, man, and, and hopefully run into you on the circuit or in one of these games, man. No doubt. I appreciate it. Fun stuff there from Mo Taylor, man. Amazing work. And I think he was having flashbacks. His Shaq only scored 61. I'm saying only 61, not 63. Uh, but nonetheless, man, fun stuff there from Mo Taylor. And again, guys, we are so thankful, not just to Mo, but for you for listening, man. We can't do this without you. We love you. Appreciate you guys. But make sure you subscribe. If you don't feel like subscribing, shoot me a like, a follow. Shoot some love over it. Let us know what you like. Let us know what we can do better. Hey, man, what guests can we have on that you'd like to see on NBA Rookie Life with Ryan Hollins? Appreciate you guys for listening. And guess what? I'll see you next week. Peace.
NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.